Welcome back to another episode of the Adaptive Leaders Podcast. Today I have a special guest. This guest was actually one of our first sponsors last week and last week's episode. So I am grateful to have him on. Uh, we are excited to dive in and get to know him a little better. Welcome to the podcast, Walter Hogan. How you doing, brother? Good, bro. So Walter, you're a family man. You are the owner of Water and Wellness. You are a husband, a dad. What, what, what are the things you enjoy doing? Love spending time with my family. Mm -hmm. uh, got to take the day off yesterday, hang out with my kids, play in the little kiddie pool and hang out. Uh, love golfing, playing basketball, climbing, uh, just getting outdoors, going on hikes, uh, spending as much time with the family is, is really the number one thing though. The value that you have around family, where did you get that from? So I had two sets of grandparents growing up that pretty much raised me. Mm -hmm. And that was, we used to get together at the Hogan parties every, every Sunday without, without fail. Mm -hmm. And it was like the highlight of my childhood, just growing up with my cousins, getting to play all the time, uh, and spending as much time with family as possible. Talking about your childhood, what memories stick out? Like what you know, I, I feel like there's core memories that really define people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, from childhood to adolescence to teenage to early adulthood. Are there any memories that really defined who you are today? I would really have to attribute to my uh, opa, uh, Harold. He was... Sorry, what is, what's opa? Opa is uh, grandpa for in German. Cool. And uh, he was just an inspiration to everyone around him. Mm -hmm. Um he had a really rough childhood, grew up post-World War II. Um, his dad was a photographer for the German army and wow. uh, was prisoner of war after. And his dad. So his, your great-grandpa. Yep. Wow. And so long story short, his mom was an alcoholic. And so she put him and his sister out on the streets to basically beg for food and money mm -hmm. and provide for the family when he was like six years old. Mm -hmm. And so he had a really tough childhood. And um, he ended up becoming a policeman in East Germany and helped get people across the, to the West side mm -hmm. and helped get his sister across. And then he eventually, when he was 20 years old, uh, got to the uh, West German side and then moved to Utah where he met my grandma. And he was definitely rough around the edges when he got here. Mm -hmm. um, and one day with my grandma, my grandma just said, you either need to change or we can't do this anymore. And wow. he broke down and mm -hmm. uh, he was able to change his ways. And he was just the kindest, most generous person you'd ever meet. And mm -hmm. he always had stories to tell. Mm -hmm. And he was just a joy to be around. What, what was one of your, do you have any like favorite stories that he would tell you as a kid? I feel like his stories about, you know, his childhood mm -hmm. and in particular, like one where he was uh, stealing apples off the back of a wagon mm. and the guy uh, gave him some, some lashings, you know, <laughs> caught him doing it. And so oh, he man. was, and then, but then he got the guy back and, you know, ended up, this isn't necessarily a good thing, but he ended up like <laughs> burning the wagon or something. <laughs> like, he got his payback. Yeah, he got his payback. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you've uh, mentioned a few times your grandpa, at least around me. Yep. And you, you've mentioned before that you were raised by your, your grandpa yep. or your grandparents. Yep. What was the reason for that? Where were your parents? My parents were both entrepreneurs. My dad mm -hmm. started uh, 
the water store back in 1996. Mm -hmm. And so he was constantly busy with that. Um, you know, working 60, 70 hours a week. My mom, same thing. She was an esthetician and she also had a couple other businesses on the side. And so they were both just constantly working. Um, and so I'd go to one set of grandparents Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then the other set Tuesday, Thursday. Wow. Pick me up from school. I'd wow. get, you know, yeah. that was like the best because I'd just get home and, or get, you know, they'd pick me up. I'd go to their place. They'd always have candy. And oh, you're spoiled. So you're spoiled then. <laughs> I, I was definitely spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm, I'm thinking about the, your grandpa's generation. Yep. Uh, the great, would they be considered the great, the greatest generation or what was that demographic considered? Have you guys heard of that before? It's like the greatest generation was like the generation right after world war two. Yeah. Like what America was built on. Yep. Right. Um, what what things did you learn from your opa that did you learn or did you maybe were there character traits that he taught you or certain things that you extracted from him raising you or your your grandparents raising you biggest thing is hard work mm -hmm. he never stopped working mm -hmm. up until the time he died he loved being at the water store helping customers making people smile mm -hmm. you know and also another big thing is he'd always say life's too short don't sweat the small stuff mm -hmm. and he always said like i was always really nervous about uh going like when he'd help me get my car fixed and being like you know introducing myself to people i'd, I'd be like oh hey how's it going <laughs> he'd be like hey how you doing right. you know he was super uh outgoing mm -hmm. and i feel like you you really need to be that way in order to be successful, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't be afraid mm -hmm. and you, you got to really be able to, um, just be yourself like mm -hmm. you've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Just be authentic. It's like, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive too, because it seems like, you know, uh, people are taught, I, I guess maybe they're not taught this, but in general, like you want to have a public facing persona. Yep. You know, and then you have a more private persona and then you have the aspects of you that very that virtually nobody knows about. Right. Yep. Uh, and that's not me defining that. I learned that from like a ex CIA agent or something. He yep. talks about like breaking down people and, and suspects. But when you are trying to, I guess, connect or build a business or um, be more public facing like this, like and you can just be yourself with quirks and everything, you know, everything, yep. like not try to hide anything. Uh, it just humanizes you, you know, it makes you more relatable. And sometimes people want to get on their high horse and like, oh, I'm, on, I'm on a podcast episode, you know, like I'm being interviewed. I'm awesome. So I'm, you know, I'm going to remind people how awesome I am. It's just be yourself. It'll go a long way. So with the, generally when I'm like learning about people, I, I know there's generally two truths when you're uncovering values. One that a lot of people know about. I, I'll ask you what, were some of the most happiest times in your childhood, right? And then you can tell me those stories and then we can kind of extract. That's why you're a generous person. That's why you love family. That's why you are happy or positive, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's another part that I don't think a lot of people understand or, or know about, but maybe they do, you know, maybe I'm assuming, but the other part of, you know, having strong values is what were the aspects of your life or your early, you know, upbringing that wasn't positive that was negative what were the times where you were maybe your saddest 
and this is again this is kind of interesting when you're talking about it and saying it out loud because you can also extract values that you picked up because of those moments and that's that's not readily apparent right yep so for an example i am a strong advocate for diversity and inclusiveness and that came from an upbringing of not being included and being picked on for the color of my skin or because my last name is sanchez right and so that value is very strong within me because of my upbringing and certain things that i went through right yep is there anything like that for you that are there any any things that you can extract from you know some moments where you're like this is something that is going to define me for the rest of my life yeah um one thing in particular is when i my brother was nine years older than me archie and he struggled with addiction from a young age Mm -hmm. um and i was my parents were both super busy and so when he was really struggling um, when I was like 10 years old, um, just after he'd gotten out of high school, maybe I was a little older cause he'd moved back at that point and he had to come live with us and he was, you know, trying to get sober and I was having to be basically his caretaker or look after him while he was struggling. Mm-hmm. And it really taught me a lot about, um, you know, I always looked up to my brother and I thought he was, you know, just none of that would ever happen to him. And it really taught me a lot about how, even when you're at your best, Mm -hmm. sometimes things just don't work out as planned. Mm. And he still, you know, he struggled with it for years up until, uh, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was when he hit his rock bottom and he went to the beacon house of San Pedro in California. And it was a two year program. Um, we didn't really get to talk to him for two years. Mm. Um, and it was, it changed his life. Mm-hmm. He was able to, he's been sober for five years now. And he went from just working at the Beacon House and being a counselor to being the CEO of the Beacon House now. Wow. And he's just absolutely crushing it now. Yeah. So it's, it's been a, that was one thing is, you know, even like, you know, you've seen the Robin Williams quote, you never know what people are really going through, mm-hmm. you know? So not trying to be, take things personal when people, you know, even when you're driving, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that show beef recently, but it's like, it's crazy how things can escalate, you know, when you're not really considering where the other person's at. Mm. No, what, what, what's, what happened in that show? It, it's basically, they get in a road rage fight uh-huh. and then like, it just escalates to the point where like, they're, you know, they're really hurting each other, oh, shit. you know, and yeah. like in their, uh-huh. in their real life world. Oh, wait. So is it, is it like a. What, what type of show is it? It's like a it's reality a, TV or what? It's a Netflix oh, gotcha. uh, series. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's a fantasy. Oh, yes. I, the one with the, the the Asian, the two Asian, like the, the Asian lady, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that first, like, little, that first episode. We saw it in Vegas for Mitch's podcast. You remember that show? Oh, <laughs> yeah. She yeah, flips yeah. him off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it escalates immediately. And she's like, Whoa. <laughs> Holy shit. He goes and pisses in her house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh shoot. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, during those times where you were, you were supporting and, and, uh, you know, taking care of your brother and making mm-hmm. like looking out for him. Right. Yeah. What, what did you pull out from the, from those? Like what values would you say that are still instilled in you today that you pulled from those? Probably the biggest one is drugs destroy dreams. 
Ooh. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, we live in a world of addiction. What's that book? The, the problem with, what is it? It's the, um, so what does it talk about? It just talks about how like we live in the age of enjoyment, mm. you know, and there's always got to be something that we're, you know, tuning into and mm-hmm. whether it be drugs or media, TV shows, you know, there's always got to be something. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people just don't take the time to step back and really just live in the moment. Even, yeah. even in a lot of our phones are the biggest one. Oh yeah. I see it all the time. Like even with myself, you know, with my kids, yeah. that's something I struggle with big time is putting that damn thing down and be live, you know, really being in the moment with my kids. Yeah. That's not talked about enough. Cause it, there, re- there really is a, an addictive quality to social media and smartphones and everything. So yeah, it's tough. But the fact that you're aware means that you can change and, and hopefully get a get a grip on that. I don't see that being a problem for you. It's like you don't even have enough time to <laughs> like we're operating this business, right? Yep. Um imagine he's just we walk in Walter just scrolling on social media. Yeah. <laughs> like, welcome to Walter Wellness. <laughs> oh man, hey, that would, that would <laughs> definitely change the culture of the whole company. What's your opinion? on that whole industry right like since your brother's a C- ceo of this what is it called the beacon house the beacon house have you guys had conversations about is it like a fundamental disability is that your opinion where it's like a literal mental dysfunction and that you in- inherit it or you have that trait or you don't or do you see it as another school of thought is it's a coping mechanism for whatever trauma that you've dealt with in your life and that it is curable and it is not inherent. Like what is your school of thought? After watching my brother, mm-hmm. I feel like it's probably a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's epigenetics involved. I even feel that in myself with like drinking, Okay, you know, and um, there could be those precursors in our DNA that, you know, make us more susceptible mm-hmm. to being addicts. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like they're triggered through trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, and that with my brother, he, you know, he had some traumatic stuff happen when he was a child and he believes that's what triggered it. Mm -hmm. And now that the biggest thing they work on at the Beacon House is, um, is they do group therapy and then they do the private therapy where you're able to really get down to the root cause of what's causing your addiction. And for my brother, he was able to see, you know, all maybe certain things with my parents and with, you know, what happened with some people that shouldn't have happened Mm -hmm. and, and really just processing those things and learning healthier coping mechanisms and, you know, through treatment, through AA, through his group and having a sponsor, Uh you know, having, having healthy people and positive influences in your life to help you learn and grow out of those things, Mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely um, not something that can be fixed with a Band-Aid fix. Right. You know, like, and that's the problem with most treatment centers is they're short, they cost a lot of money, and they never get down to the root cause of what's really going on. And with Archie, he did, he tried to do all the Band-Aid fixes and never worked. Mm. And it really took a good chunk of time for him to figure out what was really going on. Yeah, man, that that whole... Um... Those those guys are heroes. Anyone that's working in that field and and doing that, that's that's uh, God's work for sure. Yeah, because that is that is a tough place to see family members and parents and brothers and nephews and you know what I mean. Just 
people in those those positions yeah it's tough it's really tough you we kind of went into both camps you're like it could be both what are your thoughts with one of the things that i've noticed um one of my brothers went through aa and he's been sober for three years right yep and so one of the things that and again i want your take on it again not neither of us are experts do your own research you know this isn't advice or like yeah this isn't professional advice or anything but what's your take on the industry that industry with the thought that you know like i'll see people that haven't drank for 20 years and say like i'm sober for 20 years which i feel like in you know implicitly in that statement is one of disempowerment does that make sense i know exactly what you're talking about so how does one acknowledge the success of not you know not going back to whatever substance but at the same time stay empowered is it acknowledging that you've been sober for 20 years or is it is there a way to empower them and be like hey congratulations like you've done this but you're not sober you just are now this person the one i guess if i did have an issue with with some of these rehabilitation programs it's the inherent disempowerment that the person has to acknowledge that they are less than that they need help and i think that's okay for a phase mm -hmm. But when you hold on to that for too long, it becomes a personal trait and it becomes a character trait. And so then you live your life disempowered. You don't live your life with your chest out, head up. You live your life more contracted and more like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of getting by. I'm mm -hmm. just happy that I don't drink anymore. There's a book, Atomic Habits. Yep. And it talks about that, mm -hmm. like where you identify as like, um, when you're trying to make a new habit, you need to learn to identify with like, I don't smoke, not mm -hmm. I quit smoking, mm -hmm. you know, X amount of time ago. Mm -hmm. um, and really, you know, and that's, and that's the one thing I struggle with, with AA mm -hmm. is like, Hey, my name is Walter Hogan. I'm an alcoholic. You know, I feel like stating that yeah. puts it out into the, you know, into reality mm -hmm. instead of being like, I don't drink anymore. I'm not an alcoholic, mm -hmm. you know, and really not identifying with those things mm -hmm. is where the real magic happens. Right. I understand why they do it, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the responsibility and accountability side of things. I do feel like it can be a double-edged sword though, for sure. Yeah. That's, I think that's the right word for it. You inherited, or you kind of stepped in to water wellness at a fairly young age. Yeah. So take me through your high school years. Did you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Did you see yourself as a business owner? Like, what did you want to do? You know, like, cause you, you started working there at 1920. Or so I started working there when I was like 12. Okay, 12. Yeah. But like, when did you take over the business? I took over the business uh, seven years ago. So I was 23. Okay, so you're 23. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought you were like 19. Yeah. Okay. So you're 23 years old from the, the, you know, let's say 17 to 20 years old or like, you know, in those years where you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Yep. Was that ever, like, was that always the thought for you? When I was a kid, I always, mm -hmm. you know, potentially saw myself uh, owning the water store. Okay. Um, I didn't know how it would work out, um, but it was definitely, I, was, I always wanted to be a part of the business. Mm -hmm. um, I still went to college though, still did, you know, some business courses and explored mm -hmm. a little bit just to see. And then when the time came with my dad, um, he was moving up to Oregon to do a, a quality control lab for hemp and cannabis. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he was pretty much, he, there was no way he was going to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it was perfect timing. 
and I was hungry and ready to take over and it worked out just perfectly. And he was gracious enough to just give it to me. Okay. Is there any other part of you that didn't, that wanted to explore any other, anything else besides the water and wellness store? There was, I mean, I always like had a dream of being like a pro golfer, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, okay go to the NBA, but I'm only (laughs) six foot tall and (laughs) not very athletically gifted. So, I mean, it was more like sports stuff, which was more of a pipe dream for me Mm -hmm. unless it was a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, when did you come to that realization? Like, Oh, this is a pipe dream. Uh, probably when I was like, you know, 16. Okay. You know, did that come from you? Like it was that an internal to external thought or was that an external to internal thought? Did other people say like, you, you don't have a shot? Uh, more internal. Okay. I mean, maybe I could have done something in golf, Mm -hmm. but it's so hard. It's so competitive and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more, I like doing it more for fun. Yeah. You know, you still play golf today. I still play golf. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Not very well, but (laughs) (laughs) probably better than everybody in this room by a long shot. You golf? I golfed one time. Yeah, my my wife uh, Shelly, she golfs. She was on the high school golf team. Oh, cool! She's sm- she's so good. I'm like, you're way too good at this. <laughs> and she doesn't play at all, and we'll just we went to Top Golf, and she just smoked me. I'm like, wow, dang it! This is really a technical sport. Um, I was pissed. I was just swinging for the fences the entire time. <laughs> like, What's going on? So you uh, you have a athletic background, right? You played a lot of sports growing up. Yeah. Um, your first dream was it NBA or or PGA? Probably NBA. Okay, so NBA. Did you play junior jazz? Oh, yeah. Let's go. (laughs) Ward ball. (laughs) Ward ball, yeah. Yeah. Do you play on the the high school team? Uh, I made the team and then I quit. Okay. Started getting into partying. So let's talk about that, the contrast of your past self, your party self. Yeah. And then where you are currently today. Um, what What were those years like? Uh, it started out, you know, like when I was 16, just fooling around with cannabis, Mm -hmm. um, and then started to do mushrooms and, and then drinking was never really my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you're going to a party, you know, it was just one of those things I started, started drinking pretty, not heavily, but Mm -hmm. pretty much every weekend. Right. Yeah. What, um, what did that lead you to? Like that, that phase, how old were you at this time? I started when I was 16, probably till I was like 21. Okay. Yeah. So a few years, like five years of partying and, and yep. getting more and more into that scene. Yep. What, what did your life look like? Like say like the epitome of that. It was probably a mess. I definitely was struggling financially, mm-hmm. um, not on my A game, always showing up late to work, mm-hmm. not being super productive. And, uh, it was, it was a struggle for sure. What transitioned you out of that phase? Probably the biggest thing is when I, my daughter was born. Um, you know, just realizing, okay, it's not all about me anymore. It's time to step up and be a man mm-hmm. and really, um, focus on what I need to do in order to provide for her mm-hmm. and her future and make our, make myself successful to, you know, help our family. Mm. How do you teach that to other people? Because I, I've been thinking a lot about that. The the generally what happens right the part of maturing is self-transcendence where you have to go from this narcissistic and not bad narcissistic in a bad way narcissistic as like you're only considering your needs yourself your wants you have to transcend that to start considering other people's needs your, your kids needs their wants their desires their health 
it can't happen outside of parenthood. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's not, there's never going to be a time where you're going to love something more than you love yourself besides when you have kids. And, and also I'm, I'm very conscious that it doesn't happen for every parent either too. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like that doesn't mean just cause yeah, the kids doesn't mean you go through this phase because that, that's very similar to me. Mm-hmm. Like my life did a complete, you know, 180 the moment that I found out that I was going to be having my first, you know, my firstborn, right? And it was like exactly that, that check. All right, got to stop this X, Y, Z, like all of the things that I was doing. Really crazy shit too. Like yeah. not, not like, a, you know, like really wild. How do you teach that to the young entrepreneur, the young, you know, up and coming entrepreneur, somebody that is that, is there a way to teach it? Like, I'm like, go have a kid. <laughs> I got to see that's not the answer, but it's like. that. I mean, that is a tough one. I feel like mm-hmm. without my children, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be nearly as motivated and, you know, feel that urge to really get after it. If you don't have kids, you know, I feel like it's got to come from within somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and reading books like Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. um, you know, listening to podcasts, like I don't know if you listen to Dr. Andrew Huberman, mm-hmm. he's got so many awesome ways to really make changes in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I've been doing recently is cold therapy. Mm-hmm. And like really trying to push past those walls in my head, like, oh, like I do not want to be in this, <laughs> yeah. you know. What's your longest time on that? Oh, I'm still a lightweight. I'm like three minutes. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> it's better than half the people that are watching this, you know, they do a minute. So Lehigh uh, Dominguez, who fought this last weekend, mm-hmm. he, we have a cold plunge at the store now. Nice. 16 minutes. What? Did he, did, was he able to get out and like move? I know. I was like, he's going to, he was freezing after yeah, though. You definitely have to have somebody there when you're doing it. Cause For like, sure. worst case scenario is you literally can drown. I, you that's my life. Yeah. You're yeah. just like, uh, I'm drowning. So, uh, it's important that people are there. If you're going to try to test it like that, like, okay, I can't move. All right. We'll, we'll pick you. We got you. <laughs> so, uh, continue on that, that, that thought, that string of thought that you're talking about reading books, listening to podcasts, just pushing yourself in ways that you don't necessarily want to, mm-hmm. um, even coming to like the, like you were saying with that post world war two generation that really, uh, you know, they had to deal with so much crap and they just pushed through. And it's mm-hmm. like the, um, hard times make strong men, mm-hmm. weak times make soft men. And I feel like, you know, we kind of live in that society today where, it's, it's, you know, we're not really challenged. I mean, some people, that's, I don't want to take for granted some people's struggles, you know, mm-hmm. cause you know, obviously I live a more, uh, an easier life than a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and like compared to other countries where like they have to, it's a struggle every day. Yeah. Um, but for the average Joe here in America, you know, I feel like pushing past those preconceived limits we put on ourselves, it, where they get that fire inside, you know, it's hard to say like, yeah. you know, what's going to push them to even pursue those things. Cause even I still struggle with, you know, pushing past certain things. Like I know I should read every night, but I want to watch beef or, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to watch this TV show. And, yeah. You know, that's, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like anyone's ever going to be perfect at it. No. It, I, if you're aware of it though, and you're able mm-hmm. to really, you know, hopefully, make the take the necessary steps and listen to the right people read the right books mm-hmm. you know hopefully it's a progression over time so your advice to the people who uh, are seeking purpose seeking to be motivated or, or be more self-disciplined is do more hard shit yeah challenge yourself get out of your comfort zone and then do that consistently 
and that'll keep you motivated or that'll at least give you the self-discipline to do the things necessary to get to whatever you want even with climbing recently mm -hmm. i we just started i started lead climbing with my friends mm -hmm. and uh, i was listening to huberman about his shark experience and how like you can't let that fear control you mm. and he went back and and did it again and with climbing i've really been keeping that in mind lately and it's it's like okay i don't want to do this but i'm gonna do it you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> so when you're lead climbing uh, have you what's have you gone like out out in you know on a mountainside and done that i've done it with my friends they're they are the experts though so like okay. they do all the leading to start and the cleaning i'm going on monday actually uh with my buddy matt and his friend's going to teach us you know how to how to lead properly outdoors and clean the route after nice the cleaning's the scariest part because it's like yourself belaying down uh, crabbing shoot. the clips yeah. is scary as hell why do they do that clean it like that's just like a etiquette thing the cleaning so it's basically like so whoever leads it is setting the mm -hmm. the clips in and then the cleaning is where you you clean your clips up on the way down i'm imagining literally like cleaning yeah, like brushing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so you're just talking okay you're yeah. talking about that that function gotcha what what got you involved in that climbing how long you've been climbing uh my wife got me climbing when i was like 18 okay and i've always had a terrible fear of heights like when my grandpa took me to angel's landing when i was a kid um I was in seventh grade and I went with my cousin, my dad and my grandpa and we got to the chain part and I literally, I couldn't do it. My grandpa was pissed. He was like, you know, don't be a, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, good luck. I'll see you guys when you get back. He let you punk out. Like he's just like, all right, see you later. Like whatever. Oh yeah. man. So that, I, that's good. I, otherwise it probably would have scarred you for life. He oh. probably wouldn't have picked up climbing if he like, forced you to do this i still used to have bad dreams like falling off a cliff like that wow, you know yeah and i don't know where that comes from and i'm really trying to push past that in climbing now mm -hmm. and even still like i'll when i've been outside a few times i'm like shaking like mm -hmm. you know and for most people it's not that way they love it and it's like you know they get that those uh endorphins flowing mm -hmm. the catecholines are freaking just raging so yeah yeah, that's awesome. I, I've I've done bouldering a few times. I don't know. I, I like bouldering more than I like to just climb. Bouldering's fun. It's just it's fun. Yeah. But I guess also it could be a height thing. It's like you don't go too high. You just like get harder and harder. Yeah. V one, V two, V three, V four. I think the most I've ever done was a V five, I think that's Dang. What, is that middle? Yeah, I think it's like right in the middle. Yeah, like yeah. like a V eight or is that the highest? Or like V ten? I think it goes up like v like V13. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. V5 sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I get that's about my wheelhouse. I think as you keep talking and bringing in uh, Opa, I'm just, I don't think a lot of people know this, but these are, these are stats I'm fascinated by because my parents are immigrants. So your Opa was an immigrant, right? Yep. My parents are immigrants and I see how hard they work. And a lot of, when you ask them why they work so hard, it's always in context to like, they didn't have anything growing up, you know? their parents died when they were young. They were raised by, my mom was raised by nuns. My dad was raised by, you know, an abusive alcoholic uncle, you know, like they, they slept on dirt floors. Like the contrast of living compared to what it's like living in this country was what motivated them to still to this day, George Jay's met my dad. Like he still operates his own business. He still wakes up earlier than most eight, you know, 18 to 25 year olds. He's still in the office earlier, leaves the office later than everybody else. And he's, you know, he's been doing it for 35 years, probably longer. That's just how long this business has been 
uh, in business, right? And so that's teeing up this stat, which is fascinating to me. I think you're gonna find this fascinating. 40% of the Fortune 500 companies were founded by or ran by immigrants or first gen or second gen, 40% Fortune 500 companies. Fortune 100 companies, so the top 100 of that 500, 50% of them founded and owned by uh, first gen or second gen immigrants. Dang. Like, so there's a real, like the highest performers, there's a real psychology to back what you were saying earlier. There's a real nuance of adversity, challenge, the hermetic response, the more you go through the the more utility, the more skill sets, the more valuable you become as a person, right? That makes sense. So that, yeah, it's crazy. But I, I was like, you're gonna find that fascinating because it sounds like I said, like the World War II generation, the greatest generation, in American history is what they're considered like people in that era, the men in that era, they're just built different, right? And then you look back at hormone, the, you know, the profile of men, like 60 year old men or, you know, like grandpas have higher testosterone than the, the 18 and 20 year olds now. Yeah. It's like by 50%, yeah, which like is crazy, crazy, crazy. So there is something there to, to what you're saying earlier. And, um, it's cool to see that you were influenced so much by your grandfather in that way. So that leads perfectly into water and wellness. This company I've noticed and I've observed, you know, dealing with multiple dozens of companies in Utah, Utah Valley, um, Utah County, Salt Lake County. I've noticed that it has a very deep love, you know, like your customers just are raving fans. You got a lot of raving fans. It's very prominent. If you follow Water and Wellness on social media, uh, it just seems like once you you come across you guys, you don't, you know, you're lifelong customers. Yep. Let's take it to the founding of that company. Why Water and Wellness? Why did your grandpa, why did your, your father found this company? My dad got, he was a big soda drinker for years and years. Mm -hmm. And in 1996, he had a really bad kidney stone and had an out-of-body experience and the next morning he was like, I'm gonna open up a water store. So he started doing research, found a guy in Ogden who um, was selling water distillers. But you gotta, you gotta go deeper into that story. Yeah. You don't just, you don't just get a kidney, <laughs> wake up the next day, I'm gonna, why? You know, like, why did that happen? Was it inspiration from God? Like, what, what was, what's the real story of that? It, I would say, and I don't wanna put words in his mouth, okay. it was probably inspiration. Okay. You know, he was, he was Mormon at the time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he was inspired to, um, you know, help others break away from drinking soda all the time. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a business, um, a check advance business, and he was he was doing really well at that. It just wasn't fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he didn't really like when people didn't pay their loans or their, you know, their check advance. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to go take their stuff. You know, right. it's like right. this business sucks. Right. And so he was looking for something more. And... I would say he was inspired to do this, to help others, um, you know, and then as he started doing research on tap water and what's in it, mm -hmm. you know, it really motivated him to spread the word about, you know, clean water. So what is, what is the research on that? What's in our tap water? It, it's up for debate, you know, okay. but there definitely are, um, like fluoride, um, Huberman has a, you know, a really good podcast about this. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things in there, uh, you don't want to be drinking. 
Okay. You know, chlorine in particular really screws mm-hmm. up your microbiome. Mm-hmm. Fluoride, heavy metals, pharmaceutical drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, another big one is pesticides mm-hmm. like glyphosate, atro- atrazine, or mm-hmm. atrazine, I don't know how you say it. Mm-hmm. And birth control. Bir- yeah, exactly. Yeah. And those, I mean, even the pesticides mm-hmm. and microplastics too, we were talking about with yep. lower testosterone mm-hmm. um, is playing a huge factor in, you know, our health, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, there's so many things and the infrastructure is so old. Like I think the White House just came out recently and said it'd take, you know, close to a trillion dollars to fix the water system as a whole in our country. Whoa. And that'd be cool if they did it. Yeah. I don't see it happening in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just print money. Why, why not? Let's do it. Let's just print something out for a good cause, right? Instead <laughs> of just going toward, I don't know, what did people spend their stimulus on? Consumerism? Crypto. Yeah. yeah, crypto. <laughs> <laughs> right back into crypto. <laughs> that's actually a genius if that's what it was. The stimulus went into crypto and then they like rug pulled everybody. They got their money yeah. time some. <laughs> I think they also found the people that were trying to like get around the SEC. Have you seen all those violations that are going around? Oh, yeah. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's genius. So the water the water system, you said, is going to take tri- $2 uh, trillion. So the infrastructure, and just to get even more elementary when you're talking about that, like mm-hmm. just think about the piping, yeah. where the water is coming from, how old it is, like... Have you ever cleaned your drain pipe out before? Oh. Disgusting. Oh, man. Like say, like if you don't think that those those two are synonymous, then then I don't know what like we're talking to walls because like of course it rust, right? There's so many things that are just gonna deteriorate over time. Do you know what the after the filtration process, do you know how much have you measured the water in TDS and everything? Yeah, so our water gets down to zero parts per million. So it's pure clean water. Wow. There's nothing in it. And yeah. it's been uh sanitized with ultraviolet light and ozone as well. Mm-hmm. So there's not going to be any bacteria or mm-hmm. nasty stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So it's not sanitized with chlorine, which will also damage your body. It's sanitized with UV light. Yep. Okay. So let's put this in context because I did this a couple of years back with my um, my fiance at the time. So she, we went and we measured municipal water mm-hmm. from different states, different counties. And it averaged from 1,400 total dissolved solids to 20... 2000 total dissolved solids or maybe it was 1800 but like a wide that's uh, big so so td so what what that means is you're measuring things in your water besides water so the fact that you just said you have zero that's ultra pure water yep like ultra pure so and when we were talking earlier about the pesticides the herbicide insecticide fungicide birth control chlorines like all of these different things to sanitize the water pharmaceutical drugs like we're not exaggerating because the water, if you test it and do this, go buy a TDS meter. You can get it on Amazon. Type in TDS meter. It'll cost you 20 bucks, maybe less, $14. And pour out your water, right? Your tap water. Yep. Pour it into a glass. Put that TDS meter and it'll read the total dissolved solids. You need that proof of what we're talking about. Go do it yourself. And it's ridiculous. Like thousands of ingredients in your water besides water. It's like comical. Like I can't. I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fascinating that in ni- the company was founded in 1996. Yep. So your your dad was looking to this in the in the you know mid 90s, and then he started the company, right? Yep. What let's let's take it from his his timeline, him running it, operating it, to when you picked up 
you know, what, what did, what did you guys learn through those? Cause there's probably a certain set of operating knowledge and like just overall knowledge of like, you know, how to, how to make your product even better mm-hmm. to, to where you currently are. What, one of the things is when we first started, we just did distilled water only. Mm-hmm. And so it was pure clean water, nothing in it. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about minerals. We didn't talk about alkalinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had no idea about hydrogen water at that point. Um, and we've really come a long ways as far as um, our system. Like we just did distilled before. Uh, we've actually gotten away from distilled and we have a seven stage process now. First step being ion exchange, second step carbon, third step perfect filter reverse osmosis, which is what's going to get out all the really nasty stuff we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to our holding tanks and then comes through a backwash carbon, which gets rid of any taste, odor, or sediment. And then as it's running out to the front, uh, it goes through UV light and then we do the ozone at night to sanitize as well. Nice. So why did you guys get away from distilled and then implement this seven step process? We got away from distilled because it was really high energy costs and Mm. it was, we felt like transitioning to reverse osmosis was the best bet, Mm -hmm. especially if we had the other steps in there like with the UV and the ozone, because that was always our concern with reverse osmosis is there's still bacteria in the water. Mm-hmm. And so at, once we moved seven years ago to our new location, we made the official switch. Nice. And where did you guys move from? Uh, just down the street. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's, it's still the same city. Yeah. Cool. With this ultra purification model, one of the other reasons why your customer base is so like, why are they so enamored? I feel like it has to do with Ramon and the okay. culture there. Okay. And them really having trust in the mm-hmm. quality that we're providing. Yeah. And Ramon has been our rock for years. Uh-huh. And just like the energy he brings, not only the quality of the water, right. but the way he's able to make people feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that customer service of mm-hmm. him truly uh, caring for each customer. That's and we, awesome. you know, we try and, instill that in all our other guys too. And Mm -hmm. in myself, you know, I try and take a step back sometimes and not get so caught up in the like, you know, and being real with people. Right. You know, right. That's awesome. Let's talk about what happened with your dad wanting to close shop and then why you stepped in. When my dad moved up to Oregon, Mm -hmm. he, it was pretty much just done with the shop at that point. Like he, you know, he'd been doing it for, uh, 20 years at that point. And he was ready to take the next step. And at that point, I was I was just ready to step in. And we barely made it to the new shop. It was, you know, on a shoestring. Like, you know, I didn't have a lot of money at the time. I wasn't able to get out any loans because I didn't have a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. And so we barely made it into the new shop with, um, you know, our current setup. Mm-hmm. And luckily, we've just grown like crazy ever since. Um, I think that just has to do with you know, again, quality, the culture and, you know, the love that we're really putting into the, into the water. You decided you wanted to do that. You took the the risk. What was the underlying motivation for you? Why that? I've never wanted to work, you know, your typical nine to five job. I've always wanted to do something where I have the freedom to create my own schedule mm-hmm. and to really, um, do something that I feel was a benefit to mm-hmm. the community mm-hmm. and with the with the store i you know i'm able to really be involved with people stay connected 
get to know customers and really develop relationships mm -hmm. on a deeper level than just like, you know, when you're working anywhere else, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot more fulfilling. Mm. And eventually I'd like to take that to the next level mm -hmm. and really give back in a, you know, a deeper way to the people who are really struggling mm -hmm. with, um, you know, not having clean water. My buddy, Spencer Crocker, mm -hmm. he's been, uh, his family's awesome. And, um, they've been going to like, he just got back from Nepal and they helped build a sustainable water system there. Wow. And then he was in Africa recently. And it's like, he's really just like, he's living the dream, you right, know, right. and seeing the pictures of him with the people and how happy they are. It's so cool. That is really cool. So what, what does that look like for you? Like, what does that look like a sister, like nonprofit to water wellness? Does that look like a charity, a charity? Does that just look like a, an arm, like a service arm for you? What, what do you have in mind for that bigger vision? Once we have things dialed in a little more, mm -hmm. I would really like to just give a certain percentage to like, let's say, yeah, like a sister company or a nonprofit mm -hmm. or maybe even something we don't do. Like I'm just giving it to like Spencer's company and they're able to have more funds to, you know, do what they're doing because oh, they're, yeah. they're just killing it. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you read a book called The Go-Giver? Yeah, that's a good Dude, one. That's a good that's one. so good. The law of stratospheric success, the service. That's awesome. We were working with you at the at the store, but that vision to, you know, help bring water to billions of people. Is there is there like a practical plan in your head that you can do that? So the logistics of that? I feel like the hardest thing standing in the way is getting, you know, getting the good word out there and getting everyone on board with it mm -hmm. and really figuring out what is the most cost effective, you know, best system for, for the communities that mm -hmm. need clean water mm -hmm. and really figuring out what stands in the way. And there is a lot of politics involved there as far as, I don't want to be conspiratorial. It just, it seems like there's plenty of money out there mm. and, it, and it makes me wonder like, well, if people have this much money, why aren't these things being, these issues being resolved? Not just water, like homelessness, mm -hmm. you know, drug addiction, you know, cause there's, there's clearly solutions out there like the beacon house, like we were talking about, or like Spencer with his water system that he's been doing in small communities. And it just, it's just hard to see that, you know, like, why can't we just get everyone on board? And, you know, there's plenty of money out there to make it happen. And it's just, you know, it makes that, I think the biggest part is going to be getting people to rally behind something like that. And it's probably going to have to be through social media mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, ideally they, they blast it on the, you know, the big news. Yeah. Like, Hey, like, you know, this is how we fix this issue. Yeah. And really putting those solutions into real time. Right. Yeah. It's, it is tough. It's, it seems like there's a lot of politics. There's so many moving parts, but it seems like fundamentally, like there's, there are simple solutions maybe that are just over complexified by the people aspect, the politics. Yeah. So that's interesting. One of the things that I, I've observed about water and wellness is not only does it feel more familial, you know, the culture within like the employees and, and um, you know, the people you employ, but it's actually literally like you actually employ your family members. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. I want to dive into that. What, cause the general rule of thumb is business and family don't mix. What secrets or what have you found that, that goes against that rule of thumb? Biggest thing is you know, all like with my cousins who've worked there and, uh, you know, friends as well, mm -hmm. 
it's it really comes down to you know they've all got good hearts you know and they really care about what what they're doing there and in the same way we're talking with the culture it's like they just they love helping people mm-hmm. you know and that's probably the the hardest part with it is mm-hmm. you know sometimes there's a, there's a line a line there where it's like you know maybe sometimes they'll get a little lackadaisical and you have to reel them in but for the most part they're all just phenomenal that's so what is that would you advise like would you tell people listening like go like start a business and employ your family members is that something you'd say i would say employ your family members and but at the same time make Mm -hmm. sure you know like you trust your family members because it's not always the best decision Mm -hmm. you know if if you really believe in them though and they you know they've got your back and you know nobody's going to care more than your your family right that's true and I feel like that's the hardest part for a lot of business owners is they hire people who've got no skin in the game mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, they don't really, they, they like their boss mm-hmm. maybe, but they don't, they have no real emotional or family connection there where they feel, you know, responsible in a way, you know, for that's the interesting. The way that you said it is actually really illogical. Like there's a re- real reasonable perspective to what you just said, which is, your family members have more skin in the game than like a random person, right? In that same vein though, there's probably a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of examples of where family members take advantage of that, right? And so what do you do when, in in your own words, you said when your family member or your employees get more lackadaisical, what do you do to keep them motivated? How do you get them out of that? Biggest thing is, you know, not trying like tear them down Mm -hmm. and really just be like, Hey, like, how can I help you? How can I improve myself? Mm -hmm. You know, what are ways we can grow and really trying to approach it in a way where we can help grow each other Mm -hmm. and not so much like, Oh, you're, you're fucking up. Like, what are you doing? You know, and really being more of a, uh, you know, like we were talking with gentle pairing, like a gentle leader, Mm -hmm. you know, and help push them in the right direction. And sometimes that doesn't always work. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have to give them a little <laughs> kick in the ass. But for the most part, it's pretty good. Yeah. Isn't that a, like, I, there's no one I would rather be showing tough love than, you know, somebody that's like, hey, hey, bro, I'm going to see you at Thanksgiving. You know, like, I'm going to see you at Christmas. Like, get your shit together. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to tell mom and dad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to tell your parents. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And that's I. That's like something that I'm I'm, like, trying to navigate more because there was a part where I was like, I'll never do business with family or friends because I've been burned in the past. And then now it feels like it's coming full circle. Cause it just feels like in business in general, you just, yeah, there's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of lying, dishonesty, all the, all these different things that happen. And I'm realizing like, it's not necessarily I was burned by family and friends. It was more like, you know, they just, it just wasn't meshing as well. Mm-hmm. But like where I was really burned was with strangers, you know, yeah. they have no, they have no skin in the game. They don't care whether they renege on a contract or, you know, they don't ante up or they pull money out of the, the business account and, and run away. <laughs> like they, yeah. It's like, it's not going to affect their life one way or the other. And, and it happens. I mean, oh, yeah. even in like our family, uh-huh. You know, we've had some stuff where, you know, people don't, things don't add up and, mm-hmm. you know, embezzling stuff. And, oh, okay. You know, so, so guess, how do you handle those situations? You handle them with love as best as possible mm-hmm. and, and then discernment from there on out. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we know 
you know this happened we know this guy's gonna embezzle even though <laughs> yeah we love him cousin johnny <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just one of those things where you have to be you know on your a game as far as really mm-hmm. and you have to trust your gut mm-hmm. you know you can't you can't just be like oh he's great and right you know, right everything's gonna work okay out. so what you're telling now is that it's not all sunshine and rainbows even with family members yeah okay so, but there's a there it seems like there's a practical way to deal with it but i i like i said the culture is is awesome you know people feel that too mm-hmm. and i and i think you would attest to this this is the reason that people enjoy coming and you know, I, got, I don't know everyone was happy when we walked in when they you know they're like hey what's up what are you guys doing what's it like can i get a business card can i do this? i was like oh yeah you guys are a real chipper in here not not <laughs> your employees but just like your customers yep you know what i mean like everyone's just happy and that's that's an awesome culture what are some things like are there a couple lessons that you can share with the audience like one doesn't just have a business from 1996 till you know 2023 without without doing certain things in the right way so what are things that you'd say in the last seven years that you other people could emulate or other people could learn from you because again the average business fails within yep. 24 months right yep. of launching so what what are certain things that you could maybe maybe one or two things that you could share that have helped you keep, stay in business and thrive in business? I feel like biggest thing is family. Mm-hmm. You got and and friends. You mm-hmm. got to really be discerning about who you have on your inner circle. Mm-hmm. And if you have good people to help build you up and help guide you, and you can lean into, like I'll still call my dad like daily and be like, Dad, what should I do with this? You know, mm-hmm. or my I'll ask my wife every night like, What do you think about this? And mm-hmm. You know, same with really close friends and family, being able to have them as your, you know, your, your rock Mm -hmm. and, and not get caught up in, oh, well, this person says this, or, you know, I should do this. And then at the end of the day, you know, you take all that and you just, you do your best and you, you, you bust your balls. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like we're talking about with that older generation, you really just got to you got to wake up early. Like mm-hmm. I wake up at five 30 pretty much every day and mm-hmm. you know, I'll go to the, the climbing gym or I'll go play basketball. And I feel like exercise is also a huge factor in the mental health side of running a business. Mm-hmm. And the second thing would, you got to really have a good team. You got to have a Ramon yeah. who, you know, emulates the culture. You got to have somebody who makes people feel special more than the water. Mm-hmm. It's that those relationships that we have with customers that's why we're successful is because of those relationships it seems like water and wellness it's it has built-in passion purpose right you're feeding people clean water i water's the most important substance that we could put in our bodies arguably right so how does one let's say somebody who's leaning towards launching a business or starting a business but wants to also do something they're passionate about not just something that makes money or, or, you know, brings in enough to pay the bills, Yep. an impact entrepreneur. Are there, are there things that you could express to them on how to find that on how to, how to uncover that? I, that's, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like you have to do a really big deep dive into, into yourself and Mm -hmm. meditate on things that you like to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's some really good books out there that can help you realize mm-hmm. what you want to do mm-hmm. and if you can find a solution for something that you're passionate about i mean that's what business is all about the hardest part is we stand in our own ways mm-hmm. and even i stand in my own way a lot of the times with just self-doubt mm-hmm. negative self-talk and 
really stepping out of our own way. Lehigh posted something the other day that was saying that same thing. And it was basically like somebody, Lehigh is uh, Dominguez. He's a, okay. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You mentioned him. Badass fighter that comes mm-hmm. in the store. Okay. Just awesome guy. Mm-hmm. And he posted how 50% of people with less confidence are out there doing it. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're still just, you know, too scared to go out there and same thing like Opie's tell me if you don't ask you'll never you'll never know right you know you got to really put yourself out there and not be afraid to get told no yeah fear of rejection so how how do you handle how did you handle the fear of rejection i really lean into um, exercise and my family hanging out more with my kids mm-hmm. and doing my best not to get caught up in the stress of it all mm-hmm. and really just trying to live in the moment do the best that i can even like just do your best, forget the rest kind of, you know, like you just gotta, you just gotta do your best. Uh, That's awesome. Is there anything you want to say to your, your wife? Is there any gratitude or any roses you want to give to her? Um, I think a lot of people don't realize when you come from a background of entrepreneurship with your parents, now you're an entrepreneur, how much sacrifice and how much support you actually get from your significant other, from your kids, even if that's just them, you know, being aware that dad's at work, right. Or doing stuff. So my wife's my best friend. Mm -hmm. She's always been there for me. We've had a deep connection ever since we ever met. Mm -hmm. And she's literally my, you know, like the the cliche, my better half, Mm -hmm. she's able to really reel me in on certain things. And she's the real reason I'm even into health is she had a, she had thyroid cancer when she was 19 and um, had to have her thyroid removed. And since then it's, it's put us both into like a deep dive into health and she knows way more about health than I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning from her every day and she's always sending me stuff and keeping me up to speed, not only with health, with our children too. She you know, she goes to the next level as far as parenting. It's definitely a, a prog, you know, a, a learning process, mm-hmm. but she's been able to help me be a way better dad, better husband, and a better business owner. Talking about her overcoming cancer, her influence on health, it seems like water wellness Walter wouldn't be where he's at without his significant other. No way, Jose. Wow. Yep. Uh, how did you get so intertwined with the MMA community? Justin Sloan introduced us to the pit and a mm-hmm. bunch of fighters and gyms. It's been amazing to see it progress over the years. Like we started out with a few people and you know, it's just grown like wildfire in, you know, particularly this year and it's so cool to be a part of that community. They're yeah. they're all motivational guys, you mm-hmm. know, and inspirational. They mm-hmm. all work so hard like not only are they doing MMA, they're doing they work full time. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got families and it athletes in general. I mean, it's it's crazy how hard these people grind. Yeah. And they're, they're really so, they're the nicest people too. Like, yeah. even though they kick your ass, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're they so cool. <laughs> like, and yeah. they're always just so genuine and it's so fun to go watch them fight. And, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, makes you feel so good. I was invited to the Fierce Fighting Championship, yep. like one of their fights, and you guys have sponsored that fight. Yep. And when I heard that, you know, before I went there, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, you're, you know, you got a couple flyers. Like, I didn't really understand what yep. it meant. And when I showed up, I swear to God, that arena was not the Maverick Center. It was the Water Wellness Center because <laughs> you were every your your company's branding was everywhere. It yep. was on the LED screens. It was on the what are those the the padding within the cage. It was in the middle of the ring. Like, I was like, wow, you have really entrenched yourself 
in that community now if you if you had if you could choose would you is it just pure mma or would you go to every sport would it be water and wellness intertwined with mma water and wellness intertwined with the nba what you know what i mean like would it be all of the sports or are you you guys just focused on the mma i love mma uh-huh. and that's our number one right now uh-huh. i still would love to see us be with all the major you know at least with all the local major sports teams uh-huh. you know like i've always been a big jazz fan love the youths still still be cool to get byu but you know. Yeah. So college, so collegiate athletes, everything. Yeah. Hell yes. Water and wellness is going to start branching off into every, I mean, cause everyone needs it. You know what I mean? It's like everyone is a consumer of water. Yep. I don't know anyone that doesn't drink water. So it, it makes sense. <laughs> is there a world that you license your model out to other company? Like, are you guys doing something unique in, in this world of water filtration? Like it seems like seven steps is a lot. Yep. Is there a way that you guys can get a p- proprietary process on that? I'd love to franchise it. Uh-huh. And, you know, the hard part with it is just if you do franchise it, how do you keep the culture? You know, right. and it, you have to be really selective in who you're picking to own them mm-hmm. and making sure that they have the same core values mm-hmm. and that they're going to bring on the right people. Yep. in order to keep that intact 100 yeah. percent, and that's exactly the problem with franchise models like how do you keep it feeling like it's not a franchise yep yeah is there a way that you can patent the process i would have see- you guys looked into like utility patents or the whole the whole seven filtration patent like is there a way to patent that i i wouldn't for us personally i wouldn't say there is okay um the company that installed our system is pacific water uh-huh. and they're badass like yeah if you ever need like commercial water systems they're uh-huh. top notch like they make the best systems in town okay and they're like next level okay i feel like the technology though certain te- so next level compared to water wellness or even another level as far as like big commercial water systems go okay like they they do all the refineries they do mm-hmm. all the big universities hospitals oh, okay and they're doing like they don't do uh, residential. They they sell to residential plumbing companies, mm-hmm. but they do like commercial projects okay. where like, you know, ours, we can make like seven gallons a minute. We're, we, we're, we're close to having to needing to be able to do, well, we do need it to be able to do double that here soon mm-hmm. uh, just because it's hard to keep up with water consumption. Wow. Uh, but like the one they do at a refinery can do like thousands of gallons of clean water in an hour. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. You know. Is there a climate impact? Do you guys pay extra taxes because of how much water you guys go through? You know what I mean? Like, is there is there some sort of climate impact to what you're doing? Um, at this point, no. Okay. Um, there is gonna I, there's been you know rumblings about a tiered water structure here at some point, mm-hmm. at least in Salt Lake, like especially for like grass lawns and you know, right? They're really wanting to limit water consumption, mm-hmm. um, and that. I feel like is coming full circle. There's a movie like Blue Gold, like we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. And the next big wars aren't going to be fought over what they're usually fought over. It's going to be fought over water. Because, oh, yeah. you know, we're we're running. And until we fix the problems in that are happening with mm-hmm. Mother Earth's natural hydrological system mm-hmm. and, you know, repair those things, it's the... We're gonna we're gonna have a real struggle for water. What's the timeline for that? That I mean that's that's a tough one. You know I don't want to be. Uh, it's even like when they were saying you know, New York's gonna be underwater at you know this time. It's it's hard to put a time. Uh, 
and even, let's say that you know we don't even run out of water mm. it's just that like the the quality of it even mm. with with all of it you know it's like we don't want to it's just so everything's so polluted mm. you know mm. and that's i think the biggest thing is we need to shift as a not only a country but the whole world into really mindful of everything we're doing mm. for the environment for our kids for our family and taking the necessary steps to to get to that point you know to to change our fundamental um structures you know with water air food um our mental health yeah it's it's gonna be a. I feel like i i do believe in people though i truly do mm -hmm. and i feel like you know there's a lot of doomsdayers out there like oh we, we're gonna this and we're gonna that and i at the end of the day i feel like as a as a whole as for humanity we're going to be able to step up and take care of all the issues at hand if we mm -hmm. can just rally together and forget about all the crap in between yeah and just be just love each other and truly you know do the things necessary that's awesome yeah i, I think it's it's important to have that positive outlook yeah regardless of how like how uh surmounting the odds are right like, like how insurmount you're like oh my god there's so much that's got to be done especially with kids yeah because it's like what am I? What would I even have kids for? Like shit, they're <laughs> right. They're screwed. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. literally the. There are there are quite literally human beings that are like, I'm not having kids because I don't want them to uh, be a part of this world because of all of the the things that seem like are going wrong. Yep. Walter, where can people find you on social media? Social media, um, Water Wellness SLC on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, TikTok SLC Waterverse. Yeah. <laughs> switching it up <laughs> yeah. or maybe i can brain fart and maybe it is slc water wellness for oh. the instagram too i don't know yeah one uh, of the two so but either way website waterwellnesscenter.com just give us a call too we'd love to, we'd love to talk that was another episode of the adaptive leaders podcast if you if we brought you any value today like subscribe and share the episode also one ask that i'm gonna have on my end is if you guys could go rate and review the podcast it'll help us get to a broader audience last week's episode we were uh, catapulted into the top 100 podcasts in multiple countries across the world, which is wild. We're now out of most of those top 100s. Um, but if you guys can go like, subscribe, <laughs> and rate and review the podcast, we can get back there. All right, guys. Uh, Till next time. Peace.